You are listening to Spot On, a health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji-Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. So this week on Spot On, we are going to be talking about processed foods. And we're all over the map with processed foods, and I'm hearing good things and not so good things. What I have learned is that our consumption of ultra-processed foods has more than doubled since the last few decades. And we're going to talk about, you know, what the heck is the difference between ultra-processed food and processed foods. And I have a fabulous guest on today that's going to clear this all up for us. But before we do that, let's go to the streets and let's find out what have you heard about processed foods? To my knowledge, processed foods aren't as good for you as, quote, whole foods. (laughs) I've been told to eat foods as close to their purest form as I can. I really like processed foods, the taste and the convenience, but I really try and avoid them because I've read so many articles online. Not really read, but skimmed so many articles that say that they're really bad for you. So I don't really know that much about processed food uh, other than people are always like it's bad for you it has too much salt and it has too much sugar and like fat and whatever um i don't eat them that much or they're more like special treats but they're also like easier sometimes to buy for like snacks and stuff as a part of my job as a restaurant consultant you know i've worked with a lot of processed foods both from a nutritional standpoint as well as development standpoint What I can say about them is some of them are really bad, sure. You know, some of them are very high in fats and sugars and they are engineered to be, you know, craveable and addictive while providing very little, you know, nutritional density. At the same time, some processed foods are engineered specifically to provide the optimal nutrition to very niche dietary requirements. One of the trends we're seeing right now in the processed food space is actually uh, foods that have a calorie content or a fat content or a protein content designed specifically for, you know, athletes or, you know, people on the go. Okay, so this week on Spot On, I have brought the guru, and I didn't call him the guru. Let me just tell you that the Huffington Post to Dr. Taylor Wallace was the nation's premier food and nutrition guru. So there you go. That was from the Huffington Post. But Dr. Taylor Wallace is a the principal of the Think Healthy Group, and he's an adjunct professor in the Department of Nutrition and Food Studies at George Mason University. His academic interests and research interests are in the area of nutritional interventions to promote health and prevent the onset of chronic disease. And that's why we're having him on Spot On, because that's what we're all about. So he has a PhD and an MS, a Master's of Science in Food Science and Nutrition from The Ohio State University. And you've probably seen him before and heard 
hired him because he is on a weekly radio show called Risky Behavior, which I just absolutely love that name. He has a very, very robust nutrition blog at drtaylorwallace.com. And you know, he's been on Dr. Oz more times than I can count. So with that, I am going to welcome Dr. Taylor on Spot On. Well, thanks for having me. Excited to talk about processed foods today. Yes, so are we, because let me tell you something. We are all over the map on this, and oftentimes in past episodes, we've talked about processed foods. Just every so often, they've slipped in, and it's been quite confusing. So this way, we are going to really cut to the chase here and figure out what the heck is going on with this. So first of all, Dr. Taylor, what are processed foods? Food processing is basically any method that we use to turn fresh foods into food products. So it can involve one or more of a combination of various processing techniques like washing, chopping, pasteurizing, freezing, fermenting, packaging, cooking, many more. Food processing also includes adding ingredients to food, for example, to extend shelf life. Pretty much every product out there is, in fact, processed when you go to the grocery store. If you're not picking the apple off the tree, it's been processed. And even if you were picking it off the tree, there's probably been some type of herbicide or pesticide or process used to cultivate that apple tree that plays into food processing. That's interesting you said that, Dr. Taylor, because... If you pick the apple off the tree, and you know, I don't want to brag, but I'm in New England, and let me tell you, this is apple season up here, and you could actually go pick the apple off the tree, but if I took it home and I washed it before I ate it, which is what we should do, I just processed it? Yeah, absolutely. Washing is definitely a food processing technique. Food processing has to do with preserving a food. So for instance, if you wash that apple, it's less likely to have bacterial growth and go bad. So yeah, absolutely. Washing is the first step in most fruit and vegetable production practices when the fruit and vegetables are harvested. Right. So you know, you say like, I want to eat whole food. Let's go to the produce aisle, whole foods. But really, they've all been processed or probably washed or something before they got into the supermarket. Oh, absolutely. If you take those apples on the supermarket shelf, they've not only been washed, but they've probably had some type of antimicrobial agent sprayed on them so that they can sit out on the shelf and people can touch them with their hands and it helps prevent some of that cross-contamination that could occur. If you see the apples are really shiny, right? Apples don't just have that waxy shine that they have on the tree. That's, again, to help preserve that apple and to, you know, kind of keep all the dirt and bacteria and external things in our environment off of that apple while it's waiting for you to pick it out. And and increase shelf life, like you said, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I am crazy big on food waste. So that's a good thing. In other words, that apple will last longer in the supermarket, will last longer when you take it home. And that's good so that we can extend Mother Nature. Right. And I tell you, one of the things that I do personally I buy a lot of frozen foods because, you know, when it comes to produce, a lot of times if you've ever had that tomato in the grocery store that just tastes kind of gross, it's because they pick it when it's green. It's not ripe yet. And those types of fruits and vegetables are called climacteric. And that means that they produce ethylene gas and that's what makes them ripen. So what do we do? We take all these tomatoes from California, we pick them green, we put them on a truck. 
We flush the truck with ethylene gas. It helps them turn red, but they still don't taste right. You know, so if you purchase frozen foods, they're picked ripe. They're frozen very quickly. They've got all the nutrition there, and they're a lot more inexpensive than regular produce. Um, they've just been processed a little bit. They've been washed. They've been cut. They've been frozen and bagged. All of this is food processing. And so food processing isn't necessarily a bad thing. Right. You know, it's funny you should say interesting about tomatoes because, you know, I'm Italian. I have tomatoes all the time. And you're right about tomatoes in New England. We may have great apples, but in the fall and the winter in New England, they do not taste good good at all. They, they're okay. And so I go right to canned chopped tomatoes. They're chopped, they're prepped, they're ready to go. It's like having Rachel Ray in your can there. I mean, it's it's just so easy. And as you said, inexpensive. Right. And they taste better. Really, what the first thing we got to get off is that you can't get away from eating processed food because all the food that comes to you in the supermarket has been processed in some way for many reasons to be good. Right. And so really what I counsel people to do Basically, you know, the big nutrition message, read your food label. Look for added sugar, sodium, saturated fat. Don't really focus on the processing. Focus on the real health attributes of the food product. Is it providing vitamins and minerals? Is it providing fiber? Does it provide, you know, all those essential nutrients that we need to thrive? And is it providing too much of some of those nutrients like sodium? If you take vegetables, for instance... A lot of canned products contain sodium, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to consume that sodium. If you take those canned green beans and wash them, you reduce the amount of sodium in those green beans by more than half. Wow. Okay. So good. So just rinsing them, he moves that. It sounds like with the green beans, we're still sort of in the processed foods. What is ultra-processed food? What's the difference with that? Yeah. So an ultra-processed food would be something like a Twinkie, Right. It's taking those original whole foods and combining them and transitioning them into something that, you know, didn't look anything like the original food. So we think about minimally processed foods as kind of frozen foods, canned foods, bagged baby carrots that we see in the grocery store, things that have just had minimal processing, right? We washed it, we cut it, we froze it, you know, maybe we heated it up in a can to kind of kill the bacteria and to preserve it for a while. Uh, maybe we add a little bit of sodium to prevent bacterial growth, but those are minimally processed. When we think about ultra-processed, we start thinking about more modern techniques like extrusion technology where, you know, a potato doesn't really look like a Cheeto <laughs> when you bite into it. So that would be an example of an ultra-processed food. And again, it's not necessarily the extent of processing that matters. You know, in my house, I buy this bread, for instance, doesn't look anything like whole wheat when you pick it, but it's in some aspects ultra-processed. There are lots of additives. It's been transitioned. I buy this brand of bread that has five grams of fiber per slice in it. It's low calorie, it's low sodium, low fat, high fiber. It's really good for you. So just because it's ultra-processed also doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad either. Now, that's really interesting. That's a great way to say that because the ultra-processed food, when I think of ultra-processed foods, I think of like the continuum. Okay, you have an ear of corn, right? And then you may have canned corn, right? right. And then you have corn chips, 
right? So right. we go to the ultra process is the corn chips. And you say, oh, well, that's ultra process. And, and as you said, you know, look at the label. So we're going to see that there's maybe sodium added to it and other things, or maybe unhealthy fat, who knows. But in the case of your bread, which by the way, could you send me the name of the bread? I'd like to try it. It sounds like it's ultra processed, but in a good way, because it just added things to a combination of things that gave it more fiber. So is it different kinds of grains that are in that that gave it the more fiber? Why is it so high in fiber? Actually, it's probably an extract, a fiber extract that's added to a whole grain, which already has, you know, a significant amount of fiber to it. It's technology. You know, we shouldn't be afraid of it. You know, nobody's afraid of technology when it comes to our iPhones and our computers and everything else in society. But for some reason, when it comes to food technology, we get really scared of it. Now, here's the caveat with ultra processed foods. It's you got to be a savvy consumer. Uh, you got to read your food label because, you know, I at least personally think refined carbohydrates are a huge problem in the food supply right now. Can you tell our listeners what's a refined carbohydrate? So refined carbohydrate is basically a carbohydrate like wheat that has been refined and such so that the nutrition is really stripped from it. And the only thing really left is starch. So you can think of white bread, white rice, white pasta, things that aren't whole grain are refined grains. Added sugars are considered refined grains. Uh, any type of starch, which your body converts you know, directly into sugar. The issue with that is our bodies really aren't equipped to handle a lot of those refined carbohydrates at once. Let's say you drink a Coke or a, a soda. You know, that sugar hits your system right away and your body takes all that sugar right away. On the other hand, when you bite into an apple, there's a lot of natural sugar present in there, but it's kind of trapped within the cell and your body kind of has to do the work to break down the cell wall and that sugar has to come out. So, you know, it's more of a gradual time release process versus hitting your system all at once, which is what a lot of the refined carbs on the market do. So it's really, again, about reading the food label, looking for, you know, those 100% whole grains, because just because it says whole grain doesn't mean it's 100% whole grain. You have to look for the 100%. And really focusing on getting nutrients like fiber in your diet and minimizing the amount of sugar and refined carbohydrates that you would get. You're talking about different types of ultra-processed food. Like when you say pasta, so pasta, you know, again, that's what I grew up with. Pasta is maybe refined carbohydrates, but they add back some nutrients to it to make it more nutritious, right? Because it's enriched grains that they use. Well, and that is actually a regulation from probably 50 plus years ago when the nutrient deficiencies were way more prevalent in the United States. They started fortifying grains with things like iron and thiamine to prevent some of the more common deficiency associated diseases that aren't as prevalent today because grains are consumed very widespread and we consume bread and other types of grain products pretty commonly in the U.S. diet. In the early 90s, grains were also mandated to be fortified with folic acid and that was to prevent neural tube defects in young infants and it was very noticeable that pregnant women weren't getting enough folate from just 
consuming whole fruits and vegetables. And so that was mandated in there. So a lot of the nutrients in a whole grain, you have the germ, the endosperm, and the hull. And so the hull and the endosperm are really where all the fiber and nutrients lie. And the endosperm is just kind of like the starchy material that the grain uses to kind of feed itself. Because remember, the grain is what sprouts a new plant. A refined grain really strips that endosperm and that hull away, and you're just left with this starchy endosperm, again, that's very easily broken down into sugar by your body. Yeah, so you always want to focus on 100% whole grain products. So if you think about the difference in white rice versus brown rice, that's the difference. Or if you think about why white bread is so much more soft and kind of melts in your mouth compared to a whole grain slice of bread, it's very different. Now, one of the great things is that food processing techniques have really enabled us to take whole grains and make them a little bit more palatable so that people accept them. And in fact, whole grain bread has now exceeded sales for white bread, which is a really good thing for public health. And that's because, you know, these companies have developed different food processing techniques to really help improve the palatability of that food. We know that taste is the number one driver of consumer food purchases. Food processing is not just, you know, a preservation technique or we're not just doing it for any reason. We're doing it to make it more palatable for consumers, to make it last longer, to make it more safe. So all of that is encompassed in food processing. That's a great example, Dr. Taylor, because it's not nutrition until you eat it. So you're correct. The number one driver of food choice is taste. So even though we want people to have more whole grain products, if they taste like cardboard, people are not going to eat them. So that's where processing and technology, as you just said, made it more palatable. And that's good for us. That's very, very interesting. I never thought of it like that. I love it. I love it. I read some studies about ultra-processed food, and, and they were looking at, like, the corn chips versus the corn that may make it harder for people to maintain the weight and may cause people to gain weight. So what is your take on that? It depends on the food, right? If it's the whole grain bread with all the extra added fiber in there, I'd really question that. But, you know, if it's something like a potato chip, well, potatoes actually get a really bad rap because we consume them as potato chips and french fries. But in fact, the nutritional composition of a potato is very similar, if not almost identical, to a banana. And if you look at a potato chip, yeah, it's a lot of starch that's been deep fried that has a lot of salt on there. If you were to take a potato at home and thinly slice it and put them in a fryer and put a bunch of salt on it, you would probably still see the same amount of weight gain in an individual as if you bought a bag of chips from the grocery store and ate that. So again, it's about diet quality and how we're consuming these foods and what types of nutrients are in these foods in excess. So food processing, we, we want to make these little systems where we rate foods, but that's really not like practical because, you know, we don't eat based off a system. We eat based on what's available to us, whether it's seasonal or whether it's you're in a food desert or you're on the go. So you really have to think about what's healthy in front of you and is the 
non-food industry processed alternative any better. I would argue homemade chips aren't any better than chips that are sold in the grocery store. But if you bake that baked potato, now we're talking. Right. And, you know, there are, again, food technology applications that companies are using to try to make products healthier. For instance, if you've seen the different types of baked chips out there, you'll remember, uh, I do as well, in the 90s when Alestra came around. And Alestra was this incredible invention by uh, Tate and Lyle because it mimicked the taste of fat, but your body didn't absorb it. So it goes in one end, comes out the other, right? What happened? It wasn't necessarily that Alestra caused people to have diarrhea. It's that they went out and ate a whole bag of potato chips at one time because they thought, ooh, these are fat-free. And then, you know, you have a bunch of chips fermenting in your stomach. Remember, gut microbes love those starches because they can ferment them and create gas. And so it created a lot of problems that weren't really shown in the clinical trials if you ate them in moderation, like what we always tell people to do. It wasn't really the Alestra. And in fact, you've started to see the whole Alestra brand come back under the name Olean because it didn't work 20 years ago, so you just reintroduce it as a new brand 20 years later, and people start taking to it. You can use it in bakery applications, things like that. So there's a lot of different ways that the food industry is kind of trying to make foods healthier, kind of trick you into eating healthier, because they know, one, if they put like a healthy label on something, none of us are going to buy it because we think it tastes bad. But they also realize that they have to be on top of the obesity epidemic and if you live longer and are healthier, you'll probably purchase more products in the long run. You know, with these ultra-processed food or these sweets and treats, I like to call it sweets and treats versus ultra-processed food because your bread that is sounds fabulous is ultra-processed, but it's nowhere near in the nutrition department. It really outweighs the potato chips or the soda. So we're talking that when we use the term ultra-processed food, as you had just mentioned, you got to really look at the label because really what's, it may be processed to the point where it tastes really good, but it could still be good for you. And that brings me to a point where we're eating much more processed food than we ever ate. I, I started out that, this episode with that statistic that I read about. And I'm also wondering, Dr. Taylor, is it really these ultra-processed foods or is it just the frequency and the amount that we're having of it? I mean, is that really what the whole problem is? It is. And not only that, you know, obviously portion size is a huge issue in this country. If you look back even at McDonald's in the 1950s and 60s, how small the portions were compared to kind of supersized, I want to say population or atmosphere today. But the other thing is, is we know that we consume too much of, again, refined carbohydrates, added sugar, saturated fat, and sodium. And so it's not necessarily the level of processing, but as individuals, we have to kind of watch what we eat. And we know that food cravings are instilled at a very early age, you know, when a child's brain is developing. So for instance, you know, I'm from Southwestern Kentucky. One of the reasons I got into nutrition was that you go to my hometown, Hopkinsville, and it's very much a food desert. It's improving, but you still drive down the boulevard, the main strip in the town, and it's all different fast food places. And my parents gave that to me almost every day when I was a child. And I can tell you there's nothing I crave more than a Wendy's cheeseburger as an adult. Those preferences and cravings are 
instilled at a very early age. And we've got a lot of emerging data that are now showing that. So for parents, it's really important to watch particularly your young child's intake of some of these sodas and what I'd say ultra processed foods that have any type of food that has a high amount of sodium, saturated fat, added sugar, because we know that can have some long-term detrimental effects on eating patterns throughout the lifespan. I just got to answer this question because I'm just smiling because I'm a parent. How many times do you throw that up to your mother and father every day that you got that, <laughs> that kind of food? Well, I mean, you know, it's a really hard conversation to have because, you know, everybody wants to point the finger at the fast food industry or point the finger at potato chip industry or the soda industry. But there comes a point in time where you remember a few years ago, McDonald's actually decided to switch french fries out of all Happy Meals and include, you know, the little bag of apples for the kids to try to make the Happy Meal more healthy. And almost all the parents, you know, substituted the apples back out for the French fries. And not only did McDonald's deplete the world's apple supply there for a while, there was a huge shortage in apples and apple prices skyrocketed. All the apples went bad and it was a bunch of food waste. There has to be a point in time where we have some personal responsibility and we say, okay, pretty much everybody out there knows Having French fries and cheeseburgers every day is not healthy. There's not many people who can't tell you that. So we have to start making practical decisions for our kids. That's hard to do when the kid wants the French fries and, you know, you're on the go. It's a changing society. And I really think that starting to eat together as a family is really going to be what decreases a lot of these negative consequences that we're seeing with consumption of these saturated fat, sodium, added sugar, cooking at home with the families, just been shown not only to, to decrease intake of calories, but there's a lot of other things that are positives of having that family time together and setting down the cell phone and not necessarily being on the go all the time. Right, right. I've often said that the upside of this pandemic that we're all in is that you're washing your hands now more and you're eating as a family or eating together and your diet is improved. So Dr. Taylor, going back for this processed food, sum it up to help the listener here. What's your take-home message here? I want to make one point before we get to the take-home message, because you sparked an idea in me, which I've kind of been preaching on my blog. With our current situation in COVID-19, I think people got a lot more open to processed foods. Oh, wait a minute. There's a huge pandemic around. I need something that is going to last in my freezer or refrigerator that can provide the nutrition that I need. And I think we really showed how processed foods can really help in a time of need. So I think that, again, it's about reading the food label. My, my three takeaways would be, uh, one, you got to read the food label. That's the only way that you really can effectively reduce your intake of added sugar, saturated fat, and sodium. And I'd also throw refined carbohydrates in there as well. Food processing is meant to increase shelf life, prevent foodborne illness. If you look at the data, Almost all foodborne illness comes from whole foods like fruits and vegetables. Um, a big amount of it also comes from spices and things to that nature. But for the most part, fruits and vegetables are the big cause of foodborne illness in our food supply 
And that's not necessarily on the fruit and vegetable people either. You remember you got to wash your apples before you consume them because we all like to pick around on that grocery store shelf and find the prettiest apple we can find. That's not necessarily good for food safety. And then I would say, you know, some processed foods have higher nutritional quality. We talked about the frozen fruits and vegetables. I would also go back to your canned tomatoes and say, you know, that the vitamin A and the lycopene, that really healthy antioxidant in tomatoes, is better absorbed by your body after those tomatoes have been processed. And so just because it's processed doesn't mean it has less nutrition. I think that's great. I hope that clears it up. And I think that's a great way to end this because you're right. This process doesn't mean it's bad. It actually could be better for you. And look at the label because something that's got a lot of added sugar and salt and unhealthy fats, that's where the problem is. Let's not label and process or ultra process. Let's look at the ingredients. We're going to go out now and we're going to spend more time label reading because of you. And you know what I always say is never cut anything from your diet. Like, look, there's nothing more that I enjoy than chocolate peanut butter ice cream. And, you know, life is just too short to not have chocolate peanut butter ice cream every now and then. Doesn't mean you have to eat the whole thing all at once. (laughs) You got that. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Taylor Wallace, for being on Spot On. Thanks for having me. Spot On is supported by the Boston University Sargent College's Master of Science degree in Nutrition program. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about this fabulous nutrition graduate program. Thank you for listening to Spot On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This way you'll get every new episode every week. And by the way, leave us a nice review. And can you also like us on our Spot On Facebook page and suggest topics for future episodes? Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Salgy Blake. And oh, by the way, can you send this episode to five of your friends? Do I ask a lot of you?